Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audiblechild.com slash shark Welcome to the first Movies, Films, and Flicks podcast of 2016. I'm your host, John Lossworth. Joining me, as always, are my co-host, Mark Hoffmeyer. I'm just happy I made it. Uh, as you guys know, I'm up in the mountains for vacation, and it's glorious up here. But um, one of my friends, his wife was taken by a bunch of troglodytes, like cannibalistic uh, cliff dwellers. And uh, we had to go after them. We went on this long journey. You know, some people died. I had to battle cannibals. I actually got a flask stuck in my chest because I poisoned one of them with opium. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm in some bad shape up here, guys. But, you know, I'm happy I can make it. Yeah. You really could have been the descent until the flask came in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really I guess, glad. I mean, with the dude getting his wife taken, but someone's wife was trapped in the descent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad, despite all that, you're uh, still able to, uh, to Skype in with us. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty loaded up on opium. Uh and I'm pretty certain a couple couple of them followed me. So, you know, right. if you hear some like gunshots. Yeah. Uh John Lovegood. fighting off a bunch of John Lovegood, <laughs> how much opium are uh, are you taking right now? However much it takes to survive having a bone hammered into the back of my throat. Bone to- Tomahawk was a rough movie for that. <laughs> I think they should have called that like Bone Throat Hammer. Because yeah. that happened more than getting bone tomahawks in that movie. Yeah, you don't want to get bone tomahawked. <laughs> you know, so we every now and then we've been we've been talking, by the way, about like little glimpses of of things about like sequels and franchises or Star Wars and stuff. And you know, a lot of people have always been saying how like it's going to be every few years that we see a Star Wars movie. And I was always saying like I think we're going to see a Star Wars movie over, almost every year. And I just noticed in the last week that there is like I think there's a trailer out and I just haven't seen it, but there's casting and everything done for Rogue One. Yeah, oh they're filming right now. It looks like the Mads Mikkelsen's the bad guys, Felicity Jones. Like I I'm really excited for it. But yeah, we all know what's gonna I mean, happen. Check, 
I've been chatting with all these people who are like, no, they got to keep up the hype. You know, they've got to build every few years. I'm like, no, there are too many side stories. I think we're going to see a lot more movies than you think. And lo and behold, boom, all of a sudden, all over Reddit and the Internet, I'm seeing all this stuff about Rogue One in the last two weeks. Yeah, yeah I it's, think Disney's it, plan is to release, like, side movies in between the uh, actual episodes. So next year we'll get Rogue One. The year after we'll get Episode Eight. After that, we'll get, like, another side movie. Then eventually we'll get episode nine after that. Okay. So, and endless, oh, goodness. endless onslaught of Star Wars movies. So, so now I'm we have Marvel, Star Wars, and DC. We're so, in the golden it, age of, uh, of geekdom. Yeah, exactly. So. The one thing I'm worried about is the main villains in next year's comic book movies are going to be Doomsday and Apocalypse and X-Men and... and uh, <laughs> Superman, it's like it made me miss like the Joker or the Scarecrow or uh, was it Mr. Glass from Unbreakable? I miss human bad guys. Uh, well, you yeah. know, I, so I remember after they first showed a trailer with Doomsday, like a bunch of people were kind of rallying to defend that movie because they're like, you just revealed it, you just gave the big giveaway. And people were saying, like, you don't really know how Doomsday is being used and how much of the movie Doomsday is in. It really may be that Lex Luthor is the villain and this is like a 10-minute fight. I guarantee, though, that 99% of the population saw that CGI creation and they were like, who's that? <laughs> Instead of saying, ah, Doomsday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you heard one guy in the theater go, <gasps> and then everyone else went, ah, oh, great. Everyone else is like, is that that bad guy from The Incredible Hulk? Yeah. <laughs> is that what Tim Roth turned into? Is that a cave troll? You know what's funny <laughs> is that, like, yeah, like, the uh, the comic book villains, they're getting more and more grandiose and more out there. But for me, like, the best comic book villain that came out within, like, the past year was uh, actually, like, someone who's kind of opposite of that. And it was uh, David Tennant's character in Jessica oh. Jones. I'm not going to spoil anything, but, like, I mean, he just has, like, one kind of power. I mean, so he's not really kind of human, but, like, David Tennant's portrayal of uh, of that villain, Jessica Jones, probably, like, I think it's the best Marvel villain to date. Like, he was that terrifying. good. Yeah. He was terrifying. And for those of you who haven't seen it, go watch Jessica Jones now. It's worth it's worth your, uh, your time. I still haven't seen it. Now I'm not going to see it because you spoiled it. I didn't know he had any powers. I'm a huge, (laughs) I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, and so like seeing David Tennant be bad is like kind of rough because you're used to him being a great Doctor Who. Oh yeah. But uh, I'm like, he's a bad guy. Another spoiler. Another spoiler. Now I'm not watching. (laughs) Yeah, he's the title character. He's the title character, Jessica Jones. Yeah. He's a star. Yeah. Spoiler. I'm out. I'm out. I, I really am. I really have been meaning to see this show, and I just keep not getting around. It's like I need to just break my leg and take two weeks of sick leave to catch up on shows. <laughs> Don't feel like you need to watch Daredevil it won't before. Otherwise, it... yeah. Don't feel like you need to watch Daredevil beforehand too. It's not really necessary. So, nah. Yeah. I'm. I gotta say, like being an adult and having a job and bills and family and a podcast like every other guy out there. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's tough to get around to marathoning shows. <laughs> you just have hey, to find like one your... weekend <laughs> and just like yeah, ignore everything. Yeah, exactly. Just all right. Get your, uh, all right. Well, yeah, we'll move on. Yeah. We'll just make a, <laughs> just make it one of your resolutions for 2016. Love a good, just break your leg <laughs> for like two weeks. So you can catch up on all the shows. <laughs> 
<sighs> All right, Levin, good. I think you have listener questions for us today. I do. You know, it, this might actually be the exact same three people who provided listener questions two podcasts ago, but it just these are just the people who rallied up uh, when, when I asked for questions. So Brett from Clearwater, Florida asks, what do you think will be the best dream-like fantasy of 2016? Now, there was some question before we started recording of what on earth this listener meant when he said dream-like fantasy. And I said, I have no idea. Just answer the question, Mark. <laughs> not at it. Oh, and by the way, if you guys hear a, a grandfather clock, uh, I'm, up in the, I'm up in the woods, so we got a nice grandfather clock in the office here. So you nice. can tell the time. But yeah, so, in the woods. Uh, yeah, in the woods. So, uh, <laughs> I, so I guess what I got to go with is uh, Midnight Special because uh, it's directed by Jeff Nichols. Uh, has Michael Shannon, Adam Driver, Kirsten Dunst, Joel Edgerton. It's like a sci-fi chase film, but there's like a lot of fantasy elements, and he wanted it to be kind of like an Amblin film. I feel like like E.T. is kind of like a, a dreamlike fantasy type thing, so he's trying to kind of, you know, uh, embrace Amblin. So my the, the fantasy movie I'm most excited for is Midnight Special, because with Take Shelter, Mud, Shotgun Stories, I think he's one of the favorite actors. So I'm looking forward to uh, Midnight Special. Right. So, I, I don't know. The way I interpreted this question is like, what, you know, potential kind of dreamlike fantasy sequence could uh, occur in the next coming year? Ooh. So, that's the way I interpreted it. I, uh, so, I just kind of racked my brains and thought, like, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think it would be cool to see this happen. In uh, next year's Civil War, you know, uh, Jeremy Renner's character Hawkeye is going to be in it. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be funny if, like, uh, if he just had like this kind of dreamlike sequence where he was just like, <laughs> where like uh, everybody like uh, just kind of bowed to him as the most powerful character, <laughs> and he was just laying waste <laughs> on both sides, because <laughs> he usually gets ignored in the movies. So like, it'd be funny to see him like have like a dream sequence where like everybody's just kind of kowtowing to him, like, oh no, it's a guy with the bow and arrow. Like, watch out. <laughs> the, Hulk, the Hulk gets knocked out. Thanos yeah. gets an arrow through the eye. Yeah. Hawkeye gets his time. Oh, no, it's just a dream sequence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they wakes up. Ugh. Oh, man. And they're like, Hawkeye, we need you on top of a tall building to sc- scout for us. That's basically what they have him doing. It's like, well, I'm still cooler than Black Widow, but she gets more attention. It's not fair. <laughs> Damn, Legolas gets all the good arrow scenes. Yeah, seriously. I'm sorry. I don't think that he's cooler than Black Widow. I think that Hawkeye should never have been in those movies. I think he's lame. I kind of uh, like him. There, I he, said it. He adds, there, I said it. He adds a little bit of a, the gauntlet has been laid. I, <laughs> I, I like him because he adds like a human element. Like he's slow. You know, they call him an old man. He has an arrow. Black oh. Widow is just like a talented human yeah but she's like hurricaning hurricana hurricaning where she jumps up on someone's head and spins around like she's flipping everywhere she's like you know like they, she's thrown to unnecessary love triangles like uh you know she gets a lot more to do like she's i don't know i i think she's cool i think she's great but i just love hawkeye he was like running around talking about sitting he wants like uh ultron to sit on quicksilver and he's grumbling and he's slow and he, he lives in a cabin I like that in a world full of like gods and green men and and uh, cities being lifted in the air. That there's some human with a bow and arrow running around. <laughs> oh God! You just said gods. My most nightmare-like movie of 2016 is probably going to be Gods of Egypt, but I'm going to leave that alone for now. 
that that whole movie just see, every time i see the trailer like my, my muscles tense up and like aggravation i'm gonna see it i will but whatever probably just write a bad movie review about it but for me i, I actually so i was thinking about things like fantastic beasts and where to find them the huntsman uh winter calling or the the jungle book or crouching tiger i think that either crouching tiger hidden dragon sword of destiny because that movie the, the original crouching tiger was like it had a lot of surreal kind of elements and with the flying and the grace and the monologues that went with it it was almost like they were hitting pause in these epic battles to have moments of sincere deep thought while they're flying through treetops and, and and it wasn't bad it was just like you have to have the right mindset to watch these movies and mm -hmm. like so I can't help but think like a movie like that or if they really nail it right with the with the the CGI animals in the Jungle Book of 2016 like that movie may feel like like a childlike fantasy dream adventure kind of for us. Uh, you know what's and those are the movies that, Oh sorry go ahead. No I was just to say those are the movies that came to mind for me. You know that Huntsman movie has Jessica Chastain, Emily Blunt and Charlize Theron. Like those are three amazing actresses that are all going to or have won Academy Awards. Uh, it just boggles my mind that uh, they're in that movie. Like the sequel. They all just wanted to be near Chris Hemsworth's pecs. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they just wanted to hang out together. <laughs> Who doesn't? Like, I, I just, yeah, I just think that's like an amazing cast. So, yeah, that could be yeah. good. That could be real good. Maybe Bryce Dallas Howard pops in for like a second just to mess with people, and then they go back to Jessica Chastain. Is she running in her heels? That'd be like because yeah. they have to do some reshoots and just they have to do reshoots and Chastain can't make it, so they get they get Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, we're running around in high heels. Yeah, in a, in a, in a medieval <laughs> land. I like it, John. So I think the answer to this question was Jeremy Renner killing Thanos. Yeah. In high heels. In high heels. <laughs> That's why he's so slow. <laughs> yeah. Dude, take off those shoes. Yeah, man. Seriously. Dude, he's got, like, plantar fasciitis because he's not used to, like, wearing wearing the, the high heels. <laughs> That'd be funny if he gets, like, he really feels like he needs to be absurd to stand out because he's an archer and he's always wearing, like, high heels, a Kangol hat. Like, uh, you know, he's always just acting out because he's the archer of the group. <laughs> I like it. Nice. So... Second question also is from a, a return listener question provider. It's Dirtbag D, a.k.a. Darth Dirtbag, from Melbourne, Australia. And he asks another long-winded question like before. With the invasion from the galaxy far, far away in full swing, we have seen Jedi mind tricks, force lightning, and force chokes. What yet undiscovered force power would future Jedi or Sith have as their specialty? Oh my goodness! Well, so I, I guess he's like saying, when when when, a, when the next movie comes out, like, what trick are we going to see that we haven't seen yet? Well, for me, I think like for any future Jedi or Sith, I think their Force powers have to be kind of tailor made to the to modern day society. So I want to see like kind of like someone of like a who's Force sensitive, like a apply the powers to like social media. Like every time they put out a tweet, it always gets like a million retweets. It gets like a million favorites. They put out a Facebook post like, uh, <laughs> like it just gets like a million shares. Like, like they're just like whoa. Like they're just like it's like a, it's kind of like Obi Wan. Like uh, these are not the droids you're looking for. 
They're like, oh, this is the post that you want to share. <laughs> you yeah, know? You, you, will, you will retweet this tweet. Yeah. I feel like that would be awesome. Like, that's if I was a Jedi, I would definitely abuse it as far as social media. <laughs> I would play cards. Really? I would become like a poker champ. That would be too easy, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're basically going to become like a card counter with the force. <laughs> yeah, and then like you know when the bookies like you know when the like the pit bosses come up to me in Vegas to like you know put me in a room and beat me up, I'm like I am not cheating. You're not cheating, you know. Or I would start. I would love to see Jedi's like on their downtime, like take jobs as an arborist because lightsabers are perfect for cutting out trees. <laughs> no, they are uh... pretty good at cutting out trees. Uh, the, like, the ice carvers. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, and Hoth, they could be ice carving, and then, you know, they could be cutting down trees on their on their downtime. <laughs> I want to see, like, a flannel-wearing Jedi. Like the Ron Swanson of Jedis. I could see him, like, uh, take, like, just a really long lightsaber and just, like, run right through the forest, holding it horizontally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, people would love that. Like, chainsaws break down, they need oil, they need gas, you need to replace the blades. You know, you could just hack away with a lightsaber. I think a lightsaber, like, it's so only source of energy is, like, the crystal, right? Oh, go ahead, love me. What? I was about to say, like, the lightsaber is only if source of energy. Lightsaber, like crystal. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. So if you, if you have a lightsaber, and you kind of, you turn it on, and you aim it at a Death Star, right? You just aim at it, but it doesn't have to be through, like, that exhaust vent or anything where you go in and, and destroy it easily because it has a weird weak point. You just aim the lightsaber at the Death Star and slingshot it towards the center of the Death Star. Does it just glide through the whole thing like butter until it hits the middle and it explodes? Yeah, it would be like alien blood in those movies where it keeps seeping through the floors. <laughs> yeah, does it just like does it just glide in? Does it this is that what happens? I mean nothing it's... could stop it. Like if you propelled it forward, it would go right through the Death Star. It sounds I mean, like something out of that movie wanted. Where, like, uh, he shoots, like, a really slow-motion, long-distance uh, sniper yeah. shot. <laughs> it just goes, like, the, the lightsaber goes to, like, uh, the bathroom of, like, a stormtrooper while he's taking a poop. <laughs> it's just like, what was that? <laughs> it's a bzz, bzz. I read an article the other day, an open letter from the guy apologizing for making that ventilation shaft on the first Star Wars A New Hope. He's yeah. like, my bad, guys. I didn't know. I didn't know, that, you know, a, a well-placed shot could blow up an entire planet. Or, you know, star. That, <laughs> so, that architect is not getting much more work. Oh, no, no wait. He did in episode seven. Yeah. And, yeah <laughs> he just episode, made it bigger. That's all. Yeah, he, he had episode four, episode six, and episode seven. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Death <laughs> Stars planets going on. Okay, so speaking of vulnerable points, this my answer to the this, this undiscovered force power is it gets, like, a little a, a little out there, but, like, Dungeons and Dragons did this in their game like 30 years ago, and the TV show Heroes actually did this, as they did in the new Heroes Reborn. And that's that what if someone's uh, force power was to literally negate, like to soften or absorb other people's force powers? Kind Where like, when they concentrate on the force, they prevent you from using the force if they're if they're more powerful than you. Kind of like, like Rogue could yeah. take powers? Are you saying like... They just, no, no. I'm saying it's almost like, like, think of it like a, like an, an electromagnetic pulse, like an EMP, except it's constant. Where when I'm concentrating on you, you can't use your force if I'm stronger with the force than you. Like I'm Rick, 
that just no one can use the force on him. And he's just like a total laid back guy, like kind of a slob, you know, drinks too much, but he has zero worry about <laughs> Jedi. He's like, yeah, you know, they're trying to like lightsaber him and they're trying to use their force. He's like, I ah, get away. I like Rick. I mean, Rick, Rick would have a good edge. Like all of a sudden, all that foresight gets muted. It's just a, just a, a loaded down brawl. <laughs> <laughs> just a fist fight. Yeah, no, I like it. It's like, look, if you guys want to walk away alive, we can just arm wrestle. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I like that, though. Like, you can negate the powers. Like, they're trying to, like, like, even when they're, like, around other people or just on that person. Well, it's not like it's magic where you're immune to it, right? It's more like when I'm when I'm using the force instead of using the force to choke you, I'm using the force to, like, create a, a negative energy field for your force effects. Ooh. So you're just like a, a force jacker. A force jacker. Yeah, and, and, and then you could even go vampiric with it and say that you absorb other people's force. I don't know. Or that you can abs- temporarily absorb their powers. Again, this is all over heroes and Marvel, like you said, with Rogue. And again, Dungeons & Dragons did this in the 70s. They had this trick. Like, it's all over the place. It, may, it might just be a matter of time before we see it pop up in the Star Wars movies. Yeah, I like it. That'd be a good one. Nice. All right, so the answer to that question is Dungeons and Dragons and Rogue. Yeah, that's the answer to the question. (laughs) (laughs) Like all of a sudden, the Jedi and the Sith they pull out their little like felt bags of twenty-sided dice and they sit down to settle a dispute. (laughs) I like Rick. I think Rick has it figured out. Good old Rick. All right, (laughs) all right, guys. So I mentioned earlier this is the first podcast of 2016, and I can't think of a better way to start off. The new year didn't buy talking about the last year. Mark, I think... <laughs> looking uh, back, not yeah. looking forward. <laughs> I would instead, because it is January 1st, I would like to instead talk about the best movies of 2016 so far. Yeah. That was, that was released today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. There are none? All right. We're done. <laughs> well, we were, uh, since the holidays, you know, all, all three of us have been traveling, so we're kind of getting to this a little late, but uh, one thing that you've probably learned about uh, MFF is that we love all things random. And so I wrote a 2015 random awards uh, because I know that the Oscars and Golden Globes and Critics' Choice and SAG are not going to award, you know, the best naps and helmet hair. So in this po- in this article that I wrote for the site and what we're going to talk about is just us giving out random awards from 2015, having fun, uh, honoring things that don't normally win awards. And we're just kind of covering the best of that no one will consider the best of. I mean, in case any of you haven't listened before, I mean, a good example would be best needless running in high heels in a dinosaur theme park. Bryce Dallas Howard would probably be the winner if we had that award. Or best nap from Godzilla after he won the battle and he took a nap. Both highly contested categories. Best fill-in fill for a character when Jessica Chastain wasn't available. Again, Bryce Dallas Howard, two-time winner this year for Jurassic World. That's right. <laughs> That's right. As, or like best arm grab from Captain America Winter Soldier. So, uh, you know. So, so these, these are our silly awards. Yeah, we've been doing these for about five years. And, uh, you know, I didn't create it, but I created it. <laughs> but, uh, no, I take credit for the random awards. Oh, hey, it's 3 o'clock. It's going to chime here, the grandfather clock behind me. Yeah. All right, so uh, we're going we're gonna to start it off here. The oh, first random nice. award is... Yeah. That's got, like, a nice tune to it. Yeah, can, yeah it's relaxing. Yeah, it's pretty relaxing. Yeah. Like, like, no that. one knew it worked until one day they kind of, like, fixed it, and then it just started working like a clock. Let oh, someone brother. just plug it in or something? 
<laughs> yeah, I think they just wound something up. <laughs> it, it, it was upside down. No one could figure it out. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, I'm glad it's not like midnight. That thing would take forever. Uh, but the first award is Kylo Ren has defeated Helmet Hair Award. And so I'm watching Star Wars Force Awakens, and Kylo, I'm not going to give anything away. And so I don't want to like give, I don't want to spoil Star Wars. Uh, but Kylo Ren takes off his pretty tight helmet. Like, it's not like dark helmet from Spaceballs, like that could probably give you normal hair when you take it off. This is like a form-fitting helmet. But when he takes off his helmet, Adam Driver's hair is just, like, glorious. That, he looks like he's out of a Videl Sassoon commercial. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he conditions his hair. He obviously right. does. A Jedi Knight spends time conditioning his hair, which is something I think we should talk about in the future. But uh, he takes off his helmet, and it's just perfect hair. So I don't know how he does and it. It smells like herbal essence. Yeah. Like it just it's lovely, like a Glades plug-in. I, I wish, like, uh, you know, Ray would have commented on that. And, like, is that, it's like, is that Fidel Sassoon? You'll never be as good as Darth Vader, but your hair is fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, his hair is perfect. How do you take off a helmet that form-fitting and have that great a hair? I feel like I, there's some type of special know, Jedi hair, hair saloon that everybody goes to. Jedi answer. Maybe that's his power. That's one yeah. of his powers, John. That's a new power. That's that's one of the unforeseen Jedi powers. You know what it is? It's like in Back to the Future 2. Remember how you had the auto-dry jacket? Yeah. And what happens is when you start to take off the helmet, the pressure gauge goes off, and it's like a hot blow dryer like when you're taking it off. <laughs> so it keeps the hair moist when you're in there with the Videl Sassoon or Herbal Essence, and then it blow dries it as you take it off instantly. So, so you're oh saying like his force power is that he can – Manipulate and control every hair follicle on his head. <laughs> just keep it. Just keep like even like a single strand from going out of place. There like are a every... lot of serious political negotiations going on in the Star Wars trilogies. Have you ever seen anyone with a hair out of place? They have to look good. Yep, they have. And you know when he's throwing fits, his hair stays in place too. You know, Ewan McGregor's hair <laughs> in the prequel trilogies was amazing. Like you know, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just think that's Ewan McGregor because that Jack and the Giant Slayer and like yeah. a bunch of his movies, his hair is always fantastic. I think it just sort of in real life, he has a power and you just won't tell anybody. I think that that's the reason that he gets cast for some of these movies. They're like, look, we need kind of like a wiry, big blue eyed guy uh, with the Scottish accent. They're like Ewan McGregor. They're like, no, no, no. Oh, wait, but we need. To have the hair, you want McGregor? Yeah, right. Yeah. Now we'll get him. <laughs> yeah, I was watching that new Natalie we Portman. Need There's a trailer for this Natalie Portman movie. Jane got a gun. Jane's got a gun or something. And all I could think about was Queen Amidala teamed up with Uncle something. Uh, Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton was the uncle who got uh, Luke in this prequel. So oh, like, yeah. what was the uncle's name? Yeah, Uncle Baru. Owen. Yeah, Uncle Baru. Yeah. So no, it's wait, like, no, no. Was it Aunt Baru and Uncle Owen? Or... Oh, Uncle Owen. So it's Uncle Owen yeah. and Prince uh, Princess Amidala, Queen Amidala, team up to battle Obi-Wan Kenobi from the prequels. Mm. That's, that's all I could think about. Yeah. Your rocky world. Just want to <laughs> let you guys know. Small world after all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, all right. So w after that, the next award is from one of my very favorite movies of this year. It's a 40. It was it only cost 40 million dollars. And it, it's it's like a beautiful Cold War epic. That was uh, Bridge of Spies, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by the Coen brothers, and it's the funniest drama award. Um, it, it has these, like, very cheeky, honest moments, and then it has serious subject matter. But it's just, it's a drama, but it's funny, and it's alive. Like, people think it's like this, 
like stuffy historical drama, but it's a like Tom Hanks is so good in it. People don't know how good he is in it. And um, I just think it's it's a very funny drama. You know, I actually I didn't see Bridge of Spies yet, so I can't compare. But The Big Short, which a lot of people think is this like serious, almost like recent historical financial movie. it It's a really like edgy contemporary movie that's made to please people in their 20s and 30s who don't know about this stuff. And it was it was a heavy drama, but it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie was basically like it wasn't satire, but this was like a dramedy. Or then again, wait, what was it they called Pan's Labyrinth, a dark fantasy war thriller? Yeah. Am I allowed to call this a dramedy? Maybe someone will be like, look, Bridge of Spies and The Big Short aren't dramedies. The Big Short is a historic biopic financial metadramedy. A comma. <laughs> yeah. A comma. <laughs> yeah, like I, you can't. I'm telling you, you watch this movie and you think it's stuffy and blah, blah, blah. But Tom Hanks and Bridge of Spies never turned down scotch. He, like, clenches his fist when he gets pissed. Like, he, he was at the Nuremberg trials. He's seen it all, and he's just, like, a good man. And I love that it only costs $40 million to make. Like, a movie, How Do You Know, with three people talking, costs $120 million. This costs $80 million less and felt like an epic. And so— You know, if, if we include the historical events that led to the movie— uh, the big short cost about $2 trillion to make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the property damage done in uh, Live Free or Die. No, uh, yeah, Live Free or Die Hard, the fourth Die Hard movie. You know, I, I haven't seen Bridge of Spies myself either, but I'm really glad that Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg are still working together. Like, that's a really mm-hmm. great combo. I think, you know, their partnership is, like, right up there with, like, Jack Lemmon and Billy Wilder, like, all the movies they made together. Like, there's a mm-hmm. certain type of charming quality of, like, when they get together. You and know what I mean? he gets the best out of Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah. With Catch Me Catch Me If You Can, then he did... Uh, I, I wasn't a fan, really, so much of The Terminal, but I, I liked it. And then Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. I just think he's able to get... He's able to take Tom Hanks's inherent niceness and kind of flip it and make him, like, a, a capable man who, like, will throw down... You know, or like hunt people down, has an edge. I think sometimes Tom Hanks movies, they get, I don't know, I don't know, I think Tom, uh, Steven Spielberg knows how to handle Tom Hanks perfectly. Yeah. Like he understands like the uh, kind of the everyman quality of Tom Hanks. Yeah. And he uses it to al- his advantage. Yeah, but he's also like six foot tall and a pretty big guy. So like, you know, in Bridges Spies, I wouldn't want to throw down against his character, James Donovan, because like he has a temper to him and he, he's like a, uh, I don't know, I love it. It's It's a, Every time I talk about it, I smile. So um, I don't know, Mark. I um, think you could take Tom Hanks in a one-on-one. Yeah, I could. Oh yeah, I'd drop him. I would. Yeah, he would go down. But then I'm everybody the would hate you. Just, yeah. everybody would hate you. It's like, oh, you beat up Tom Hanks. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I would feel so bad. Like I'd be crying the whole time fighting him. <laughs> it's like he wants me to kick his ass. We should do a podcast. People that we would hate to beat up, but we could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so the next one is best for a coda board and that goes to ben mendelson from slow west and this is my theory i think he was just kind of standing around being bad one day smoking a cigar hunting people down and the the coat just sort of like grew around him you know it's I'll just tell you, of, after all that the, the cigar smoke just seeps into the coat so it better because no one else is going to want to wear his yeah, coat i just think it grew around him like i don't think this is something he like looked at a rack Either that or he stole it from a dead person. But I feel like this fur coat grew around Ben Mendelsohn in Slow West. 
So his competition for this award, the other nominee uh, was pretty much everyone in The Revenant. <laughs> Except that now, were they just knocked out because their fur coats along with their hair were just always like all matted and – I mean they were just like, – they were, they were too practical. You know what I mean? I like, like they needed those fur coats and those fur coats served a purpose. But this like one, there was still dry blood of the animal in the fur coat. Yeah, exactly. And, and like they needed that to survive. And but in this one, it's like he's in the West, and it's really not that cold, and he's wearing a gigantic fur coat. So wait, no so one like from just uh, had, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, go for it. So no one from the Hateful Eight, like a uh, challenge, I guess, like a uh, for the award. I mean, I just love Ben Mendelsohn, and so, I mean, I, I think Hateful Eight has better scarves. Um, oh, okay. Damian Bashir and Sam Jackson's scarf game were really strong in Hateful Eight. Yeah. Uh, and, and Kurt Russell's facial hair was his fur jacket. But <laughs> I just love Ben Mendelsohn. And I just want to talk about I could talk about Ben Mendelsohn all day. So um, I just had to throw him in here. You know, I, as, as, I just want people realizing this guy's brilliance. So I think, you know, a lot of people let the fur coat wear them. But Ben Mendelsohn wore the fur coat. <laughs> Nice. How pret-a-porte. <laughs> this may be kind of cheating, but I think for me, the best fur coat goes to Chewbacca for this year. <laughs> oh, God. You know, it's like that nice little touch. They made like uh, his uh, his fur kind of gray, kind of like in the, uh, uh, on the fringes. Cause, you he's know, getting Harrison, a little older. Because Harrison Ford was also kind of gray at the top, so they kind of matched. I thought that was a nice little touch. I'm like, oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the best literal fur coat. Right. For I mean, sure. You can't beat Chewbacca. Never. No. Yeah. Especially in, in I mean, what if, chess. Would, would you, if it got really cold, would Chewbacca wear a fur coat? No, he probably wouldn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, Ben Mendelsohn, y'all. And then uh, the scarf award goes to Hateful Eight. So the next one is uh, Dom Hall Gleason is crushing it right now. I think he won 2015 between Brooklyn, Ex Machina, Star Wars, and The Revenant. Uh, the guy is just on a tear. Uh, he's not the lead in any of them. Uh, maybe Ex Machina, he has some lead, but in Brooklyn, he's just the nicest dude. Ex Machina, he's genius. What podcast was that, John? Uh, Eleven Good? Was that 15? 15. Was that 15? Uh, I believe you. I well, believe you after too. the break. Yeah. No, 15 was our Romero podcast. I actually don't know. I actually then, don't know. Uh, uh, Star Wars, he has a great speech, and he's always giving students. He looks to Kylo Ren, which I love. He's like, nah, 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 nah. And then uh, in The Revenant, he just plays a really great captain. To, like, just a good man. Uh, and so he's in four of, you know, uh, Brooklyn, you know, is one of my top five of the year. Uh, actually, my top five of the year are end of the—I haven't watched everything, so know that. But I've watched a lot. So my, my best of the year are uh, um, Love and Mercy, um, the end of the tour, was it Brooklyn— Bridge of Spies, and uh, something else. We'll go over that later. But, uh, no, he's just he's putting in great work, and so I think he won 2015. His co-star, Oscar Isaac, so is also. I'm going to overall, but. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Loving It. What's up? I, I was going to say, I, I, I kind of agree overall that he's kicking royal butt in acting this year, but I'm sorry. His role in Star Wars, just barf. I really? thought that was terrible. I loved him. Oh, He's, yeah, I thought it was terrible. Like, whenever he got, like, the one-up on Kylo Ren, he was kind of like, hey. Well, that character like, didn't I, really... All those scenes I just thought were terrible. I that dreaded character didn't have scenes. much to Every do. Every time he walked on you know? screen, I winced. I love that yeah. guy. Yeah, he didn't have I much to do. I love that guy. Stories. I just didn't like that character. Interesting. It's kind of like Captain Phasma. 
Like, uh, she didn't have much to do. Yeah. For some reason, I just loves her. I just, lo- I think he's a long, like, I think they were like, we need this guy. So he'll play a bigger role in the other films. I hope so. But, uh, but it, it, like, felt like, it felt like two dueling brothers, like, fighting for their father's inheritance, like their unloving father's inheritance whenever they went to speak to Lord Snoke. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're competing, like, to, to look, to make the other one look bad in front of, like, their dad, who doesn't really care. He's like some feudal Japanese lord waiting to say, you dishonor me or something. And, and the kid's like, yeah, 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 dad likes me more. Like, I, I hope he puts, like, Nair in Kylo Ren shampoo. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> all right so dom hall dom hall you're my boy so uh and, and brendan gleason uh, the two of them have owned this decade i think between the guard calvary uh and bruges they've owned this this decade i want to say that uh, well, I think, his uh his co-star oscar isaac is also uh having a pretty good year too oh yeah you a know. most violent year like yeah he's crushing it i mean obviously star wars and also ex machina and you know not a bad year for him either Really? Yeah, he's always good. But I mean, I, I don't know. I just love Brooklyn, and Oscar Isaac wasn't in Brooklyn, so he can uh, he can just you know eat it. <laughs> so our next one is uh, best erotic dance performed by a vampire award, and that goes to What We Do in the Shadows, and it's the best va- vampire documentary ever made. Actually, it's it's in my top ten of the year. I think it's just a brilliant New Zealand film that gets funnier and funnier the more you watch it it is a layered funny great movie and the director is actually going to do thor 3 which is pretty random but um i don't know i love what we do in the shadows it doesn't get any better than that now i don't know if there was any any vampire dancing in um vampire academy which i refused to watch that little <laughs> tween movie but you know there's something about his erotic his awkward like totally awkward erotic dance it almost makes me think of like a guy imitating like a turkey mating dance or something <laughs> like like you're mimicking the wings with your arms but it made me think of the really awkward like 1999 chicken dance from ed tv <laughs> oh yeah with matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson doing this totally awkward chicken dance and if they didn't explain what it was you'd have no idea what the hell they were doing <laughs> yeah I, I just i i, I love it uh, and i like the audience too the uh the two other vampires were like really like in his moves and they were their full attention like they were down to, they were excited about his dance and then the other guy came in and he's like hey you look great it was a great dance it's like the other vampires are really supportive of his erotic dance <laughs> so that's my random award for that so the next one is uh did Charlize theron really cut her arm off in mad max fury uh, fury road award and so you know she's into it you kind of got to wonder did she of course she didn't but i mean the cgi was incredible uh george miller was saying that uh, he put it he gave her her left arm uh because it was cheaper to do because then she could drive with her right arm and not her left but i mean I, what i i guess what i love most about mad max fury road and the point i wanted to make was the cgi aids the practical effects like it's not if, if you look like they're actually driving these cars and then the background the dust and the color and the mountains were all added in later but i just loved how the cgi wasn't the focus but it just sort of aided everything and uh, so i remember back in 1985 when we were like four and three years old and we did 
the random awards of 1985. Yeah. And we did the, 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 uh, did Arnold Schwarzenegger just cut off that guy's arm in commando award? <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like this role in, in Fury Road was written for that bad guy as if he survived after commando and then the apocalypse, apocalypse came and then they're like, we can't find that guy anymore. Let's do Charlize Theron. But, <laughs> but, she, but she has two arms. It's like, well, do we actually cut off her arm? And there we have the award. <laughs> I mean, it would be cheaper. Probably CGI for all that arm probably cost $10 million. <laughs> that looks great, though, yeah. that arm. I didn't realize I mean, that was I just, CGI. I, just, I thought that was like a practical, like kind of a like prosthetic. That, or like nah, a prosthetic. She, she had, it was a green screen over her. Uh, she had a green over her arm. Oh, okay. I, yeah. Yeah, it looked good. It looked good. Yeah. That's it why I love that like Max. You just you remember the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, how they had like a, all those random characters in the cartoon series, and one of them was a mechanical like robot Ninja Turtle? Mm-hmm. Her arm, because it had three fingers, made me think of a mechanical Ninja Turtle. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> you know, I like it. In a good way. It's not a bad criticism. This is in a good, weird, nostalgic way. I feel like George <laughs> Miller could have made that fit somehow. <laughs> yeah. Just throwing a line. Just throwing a line there. But now I just love how... So many movies rely on CGI front and center, but this movie used CGI to help it. And that's what I loved about it. Such a great movie overall. Also had the best nipple milking scene. Also the best uh, guitar solo (laughs) of the year. And that's that's one of my top ten of the year as well. I just think it's a brilliant film. And then uh, the next award is thank you for not wasting the Dalmore 62 award. And as you guys know, I'm a huge scotch whiskey. I mean, I guess you just call it whiskey. But, you know, bourbon, any type of whiskey I love. Um, except for I like scotch, it's too pee. But I just love how, uh, I just love that they had a Dalmore 62, which is one of the consensus most popular whiskeys around rare whiskeys. And in the course of like a, a bunch of people getting killed, they never poured it out. Like in, a in Skyfall, a woman has 50 year old McCallan on her head and they waste it. And it just make, made me sick to my stomach. So seeing that Sam Jackson appreciated this Dalmore 62, and I think he's one of the best villains of the year, too. I love this lisp, and I love that he didn't mind killing people, but he hated seeing blood. But I just want to applaud a movie for not wasting good whiskey. So I have a question now. There's, there's, there are, like, a couple scenes where Colin Firth and Samuel Jackson are interacting. Uh-huh. And Colin Firth won Best Actor for The King's Speech. Do you think that Colin Firth, actual the actual person on set, was just sitting there judging Samuel L. Jackson's list. Being like, that's not as good as mine. It's not as good. It's not, you're not doing it right. Yeah, but do you think I mean, Sam Jackson would care? Yeah, no. I don't care. Mother- Sam, <laughs> Sam Jackson sounded less like he had a legit lisp and more like a bee stung his one side of his tongue. No, you're going to hate this. He actually did have a lisp uh, when he was younger. And uh, maybe this is probably an exaggerated list, but he learned to like kind of overcome it because it really messed with his confidence a lot. So maybe like uh, he started, you know, maybe he brought it back and turned it up to 11 a little bit. So uh, maybe they had list offs in, in between there. But I just like that he wanted to have like a, a James Bond type villain quirk. And he thought the list was great because it makes you very unassuming. Yeah, because having so, uh, like a metal teeth was already taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Metal, he didn't, he, yeah, he didn't want to throw hats or yeah. you know. So but, this uh, this award kind of reminds me of that video Nick Offerman put out over the holidays. It was like a forty five minute video of him just sitting there drinking whiskey and yeah, saying nothing. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, he, it was, he loves his. Gotcha. <laughs> it was hilarious. I don't know. I feel like I yeah. Out, 
that's my fireplace now. I just got that Chromecast, and that's on our TV. Is our uh, it's like we kind of put it on a loop with him just sitting there drinking. Like he's just glaring at you, like uh, drinking his whiskey, <laughs> and he doesn't waste any of it. And it's just no. beautiful. I'm oh wait, did I call it whiskey? It's scotch, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah. like if you go to if you go to Scotland, you say you know, give me a whiskey. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know if it yeah. was like interchangeable or not, or it was like a different. If you go to Scotland, you say, "Give me a scotch." Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Cheeky fucking donkey. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Uh, uh, and they spell it without an e. So it's like Scotch whiskey is without an e. Whiskey. Hmm. It's just a y there. Interesting. But uh, I don't know. I love it. And you know, there's a movie called Torque where they're on this terrible movie called Torque. Where these two that. characters are on this playground, and this guy keeps takes a swig of a beer and throws it, and it breaks. And then he takes a beer from a woman, takes a swig of it, and throws it and breaks it. And I'm like, why is he wasting this beer? He's why a, is he just take, and why is he breaking it on a playground? He's a recovering so like, alcoholic, so he's trying to yeah. like, <laughs> he's trying to Dude, fight it. <laughs> Vin Diesel would do that. He just lift it up once and finish the bottle. Dude, Vin Diesel's drinking Corona is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. He basically takes a bottle, he puts like his his pointer and middle finger on one side, his thumb on the other. So it's three fingers holding the bottle. And then he flips it and does a V. Like, he keeps his head looking forward, and he flips it like a V. And then, like, I think when he would put it down, it would just bubble up. I don't think he's ever drank beer in his life, because watching him drink Corona in those movies was, like, <laughs> it was not proper form. No, Vin Diesel's you know a strange character. Like, uh, I don't know. So, so go ahead. Oh, someone said in Leaving Las Vegas, Nick Cage wouldn't load it up a cart with so many different kinds of alcohol. Because, uh, you know, some alcoholics say that when you get to that point, you just found your one particular poison and that's it. So he wouldn't be loading it up with all different things. He would just be loading it up with, like, one very specific type. But that wouldn't look cool on screen, so never mind. But uh, the next one is, speaking about water, is the, <laughs> the least... It did look cool on screen. Yeah, the least safe, uh, least safe sea beast enclosure ever award. Now, we've talked about this in length, so we won't spend too much time on it, but... In Jurassic World, there's a sea beast enclosure that's terribly dangerous, probably costs $2 trillion to make. It's impossible to clean. The dinosaur could easily kill people, and they feed it great white sharks, which, which isn't sustainable. And I, the whole movie's a big pile of you know, poop, but uh, I, I don't understand this thing they built. Like It's like a trillion-dollar thing. And that dinosaur's huge. It has nowhere to go. I don't like it. <laughs> I have a fan theory. I have a fan theory. So things didn't work out well in Jurassic World, which presumably takes place sometime in the near future from now, right? Because that, that was some pretty fancy stuff. So we'll just say it's after now. And way in the future, you have Waterworld. Now, I think that when Jurassic World failed, that sea beast just started wandering around. It starts procreating with something uh, and then before you know it, it swallows Kevin Costner when he's fishing with his body in Waterworld. I think that's that sea beast. I like it. Although that sea beast actually had like a three-part mouth, like one of the graboids in Tremors. So maybe this sea monster mated with a graboid, a Tremor. And it, I mean, there's a lot of time. It could have been 100 years. I don't know. Maybe 10 generations of crossbreeding, like with dogs. And then it ate. Ke but I think this thing spawned the thing that ate Kevin Costner. I, I like it. Write it down, put it on a piece of paper, and throw it on the floor, Elizabeth. All right. <laughs> put, it, put it in the cabinet. Yeah, I mean, I, I would hate to see the mating between this creature and a graboid, but um, I like it. But yeah, <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. 
I, I just had to get that in there. So the next one is, in 120 minutes, you fit in eight air battles, one wedding, three rescues, 80 outfit changes, egg selling, lizard henchmen, TV purchases, three dinners, bureaucracy, bounty hunters, double crosses, imprisonment, space orgies, bee attacks, toilet cleaning, almost space death, roller skating, expository dialogue, wind growth, and a whole lot more award. Um, Jupiter Ascending was total gobbledygook, but I love that it was this movie that made a brand new world, was completely different, and it had a subplot about a woman selling her eggs so a guy could buy a television. <laughs> Which was so stupid, but I loved it. Yeah, like, uh, that movie worked for me, though. I enjoyed that I, I loved zany it. movie. I loved it. I mean, like, she, she literally mates with a man dog, and she doesn't care. And, like, uh, it's just a weird... Very expensive, great-looking, bonkers movie that will probably wreck original filmmaking for 20 years. But, yeah. I mean, I love that people are out there making original stories that are insane. Like, this movie's insane. The two great things that I remember So this, this was movie. the success. Oh, go ahead. This was, like, the success of what Pitch Perfect tried to do with random plot elements. Pitch Perfect Part <laughs> 2, that is. Like, Pitch Perfect 2 threw in all these, like, totally unrelated random scenes to get all the old cast in and justify it after they all graduated. Like, and it just didn't work. And for some reason, you get all these totally off-the-wall plot elements in Jupiter Ascending, and somehow... I'm not going to call this great filmmaking, but it worked, and it was very entertaining. What were you saying, Lazma? Oh, I was, uh, I was saying that like the two like greatest things I remember from this movie are Eddie Redmayne just sitting in that room by himself, <laughs> like speaking in that really evil, whiny voice. And then the end of the movie where Mila Kunis and Jan- Channing Tatum are like flying around the city in like those like jetpack rollerblades or whatever. <laughs> I'm like this is Jeez. I don't I don't know what's going I mean, on in this movie, but this is this is kind of great that they went all out. I'm not yeah, saying it and, worked, but I'm glad they did it. And, and I forgot to mention that Eddie Redmayne's is immortal, and the way he gets defeated is Mila Kunis simply kicks him in the balls. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I mean, he, he he's just undying, is what he. I mean, he's not like a god immortal. He's a uh, he's like um he's like an elf in Lord of the Rings. Ah, okay, but just more petulant. He whispers but or I mean, screams. He, he's just as fragile. Yeah. But, I mean, you figure he's been there, done that. Like, he would be savvy by now. I mean, yeah, like, you know, 8,000 years, even by accident, you got to be taking one nut hit every 100 years. You think, I mean, I'm saying one every 100 years. Like, in a, in a long lifetime, Wait. every man has probably been at least accidentally hitting the nuts. Like, right? Is that fair? Yeah, at least fair, yeah. Yeah. So, so, he's lived, like, 8,000 years, say, right? That's... 80 pops to the nuts. I don't think you should be so shocked by then. You got scar tissue down there. They don't even feel as much. <laughs> just, just calloused. It's like an old football knee at that point. Like it's just, You don't even feel it. And like you said, John, it, it didn't need to happen, but it did. And I love it. Like, I love this movie. I want to watch it again, even though it's just stupid. It is so rewild. It's been on HBO a lot. I swear, I've seen... If you add up the fragments, I've seen this movie like four times in the last two months, and it's always entertaining to me. I don't understand why. Yeah, it's just yeah. – I love it. It's just world building at its most you know, cocaine used. I don't know. But uh, so the next one is the most uncomfortable moment involving a bathtub, and that goes to Creep. There's a scene where Mark Duplass wants the, the filmographer to film him in the bathtub. And the way he kind of ropes him in and talks to him and says, I want my son to see my everyday – you know, he really talks him into it, like a situation that you should never be involved in. 
and uh, he ends up, you know, sitting in with, with a bathtub. And it's just a very awkward, weird, 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 weird scene. Yeah, and, and like you said, like, even though it's awkward and weird, it really is, like, humanistically credible that he got him to do it. Yeah. That's why I love this movie. Like, we've just been writing about it a lot, but it's a very modern and believable villain. And, you, you know, you talked about how, uh, you know, the, the, his, his, his uh, psychosis was almost real. Like, it, it, was, it could be explained as something. And so, uh, I don't know, I, I love Creep, but it, it's very uncomfortable. It's a very uncomfortable I, I feel you know, I didn't think of this right away. What I thought of was when Doug Jones was like the skullcap severed, uh, bloody corpse ghost and Crimson Peak getting out of the bathtub. Now, that was pretty uncomfortable for me. Well, I haven't seen that. Don't tell me. I haven't watched Crimson Peak yet. <laughs> oh, it's in, the, it's in the trailer. Oh, okay. It's in the trailer. Oh, okay. Just like all those scenes with like that weird, like bloody crimson colored ghost crawling around that's doug jones doing all those scenes and there's one scene where he gets out of a bathtub and it's creepy as hell oh, okay i'll have to watch that it might be a runner-up but i just like the believability like how believable this was and how he roped him yeah. into it so. some of my other some when I, I like to reflect on our old random awards 1984 most uncomfortable bathtub scene nightmare on elm street freddy claw yeah. up between the legs yeah. 1989 ghostbusters 2 where the pink ooze tries to take the baby Oscar. Oh, yeah. 1994 in Maverick, where Jodie Foster makes a comment, and then James Garner and Mel Gibson try to look at each other's crotches in the <laughs> bathtub because she said, like, father, like son, when she looked in the bathtub. <laughs> so yeah. some old, just, we're just acknowledging yeah. past winners, just like at the Oscars. Yeah. Past, and you guys Slith should try to Slither find a good podcast. One. Slither had a good one, right, with the, the thing... Uh, oh, going yeah. towards the girl. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, nice. that's that's the first half of the awards. Cool. I think, uh, yeah, now's a good time to take a break. We'll, we'll, we'll end on a note of James Garner and Mel Gibson trying to see each other's junk. I love that movie. Hey, let's watch that in the break. All right. <laughs> when I say pod, you say pie. Wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> whoa, whoa. What's Robert, going on, take Kyle? A, take your headphones off real quick. Okay. Sorry. John, what the hell is this? Uh, I don't know. Robert invited me over. And yeah, I have no know. Idea. This is kind of awkward. Are we yeah. doing like a promo or something? I don't know. I wish he'd put, a, put on his pants, though. Yeah, it's he's, he's like dancing around. He's talking about Shark right. Dropper. I think he's looking for the baby oil. Anyways, Robert, Robert, what are we doing? Huh? What are we doing? What was that? What are we doing? Are you put my headphones back on? Yeah. Oh, we're doing a promo for uh, Shark Dropper. Oh, okay. That podcast we do that has improv, and we just talk about our daily lives oh, and stuff. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I still wish you'd find your pants. Where can they find it? Oh, wait. Are we supposed to wear uh, sharkdropper.com? Short shot time. Welcome back to Movies, Films, and Flicks. Uh, I got to say, Maverick still holds up after all holds these years. Holds up. Yeah. It was kind of weird. I love that nap scene. <laughs> yeah. No, it was kind of weird when Danny Glover shows up. Like, I mean, it was definitely a forced cameo, but I just, yeah. I always appreciate seeing that because you always hear like the little, uh, I think it was like the little saxophone kind of like snippet yeah. from like a <laughs> delete the weapon soundtrack. I'm like, oh, nice. <laughs> I, I love know. that movie. Is I saw cameo th- because of his role in Silverado or something. Was he in Silverado? Is that why they put him in this in, in, in Maverick? No, from Loaded uh, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, they were together weapon in the connection. 
You know when they were looking at oh, each other makes... like like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never mind. That's why they acted like they knew. I, I haven't seen the movie in too long. I wasn't even thinking. <laughs> where have I seen you before? They were no. filming Silverado right next to Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Hey, can, we, can we use your extras? <laughs> if I was a movie exec, I'm like, yeah, just uh, let's save some money here. Try to shoot like uh, using the same sets, maybe background extras. That would uh, that would be very uh, practical. No, I think my, my favorite. Pretty much this, my like favorite Jurassic scene. World, of, I would have been like, oh, yeah. "Hey, what are you guys doing with your set when you're done with it? Can yeah. we uh, borrow it?" I'd like to <laughs> use this huge weapon. Five. Yeah. <laughs> Jurassic favorite, World, my, weapon five. My favorite scene from Maverick is still at the end, where like, hey, he just closes his eyes and just magically pulls out the Ace of Spades, Ace of Spades to to win the poker tournament. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. Like poker in movies is not. That, that we're, well, we're doing that post soon, aren't we, Les Math, about poker? You wanna, oh, yeah, that's yeah. what you said you're working on, right? The best poker scenes and uh, best poker games in cinema history. I need an Oreo. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, good. I think you have the last listener question for us today. I do. I do. I mean, this, this third one could be a whole podcast in the future. But for now, it's just a listener question from Jesse from Camden County, New Jersey. And he asks... What is Nicolas Cage's best role and his worst role? This one was tough for me because it made me sort of sad because it made me realize how great Nicolas Cage can be and how bad he can be. And so my favorite performance by Nicolas Cage is Adaptation because he just plays two different roles and he's brilliant in it. There's like sincerity, intelligence. I mean, everything you could want is in adaptation. He's brilliant in adaptation. And I mean, like, Chris Cooper, Meryl Streep, like, such a brilliant movie adaptation. And his worst role is Next, which is early on in our MFF <laughs> career. Oh, yeah. That, that, re, that, our review for Next has been, like, a big-time hitter for us because I talk about bored acting, and I just show about 15 <laughs> pictures from Next, and Nick Cage looks bored the entire time. He's wearing a sweet, wearing a sweet leather jacket. He's bored. He's getting tortured. He's bored. He's running. He's bored. Uh, he's hanging out with Jessica Biel. He's bored. Uh, he's looking at his sweet watch. He's bored. Like it's the most disengaged performance I think I've ever seen in my life. And uh, they put you a. Know, sil- if I can give him some credit, though. You see, his character has already done each of those. He's lived the the actions in that scene several times already, so it's very routine. It's not new to him. Yeah, but like you know, I drink beer a lot. I enjoy my fifth one. <laughs> no, no, but you understand. He has drank. He has drank that particular fifth beer five times when you're seeing it on the screen. That'd be awesome. Oof. So that's why. That's what I'm saying. Like every time you drink a fifth beer, it's a new fifth beer. When he drinks his fifth beer on scene, he did it five times because he had to re- redo. He had, to, he had he had seen through the future of all these different possibilities already, including him having that beer, that he's experienced it too many times to be anything before. Uh, you put a lot of, th- I mean, every scene in that movie, like when he's, well, what about when he's looking at his sweet watch? He hasn't worn that leather jacket a billion times. Like, that's a new leather jacket, and it's sweet. You know what I mean? No, no, like, but every, his, he, he foresees everything, like, a thousand times over in that movie. Man, then he just explain- I don't like it. That's a. I don't like it. There's no wonder. Yeah. And he was, he just. Or I will say this though. He looks for other movies. Oh yeah, but you know what though? This was. He like looks a, for another movies. This was like a big budget blockbuster, not like Stolen or Running or those directed DVD ones he's been doing in New Orleans. Like this was like a massive film. Um, and I loved him in uh, Kickass too. But sorry if you guys took that. But uh, yeah, those adaptation and next. Right. Uh. Well, for me. 
I mean, this probably shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, but uh, the, my reasoning or my thought process as far as this question goes is that Nicolas Cage is at his best when he just kind of goes all in. You know, granted, he doesn't do it for every movie, but, like, when he just goes all in, just, like, just fully commits to character, like, that's his best. It just... Are you me, about to face off? No, <laughs> Wicker no, Man? No. Yeah, actually, Wicker Man. Because, like, yeah. <laughs> the the movie's terrible. It's a remake of the uh, the 1970s horror movie. I think it was the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, I mean, it was a terrible role, terrible movie. But, like, he really kind of gave it his all. <laughs> you know? There was uh, there's a couple of scenes in there where, like, he punches, like, uh, an old lady out of nowhere. He steals, like, a... While he's wearing a bear suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he steals her bike. And then, like, uh, obviously the scene where uh, he just gets, like, <laughs> just gets stung to death by all his bees. And it was just, like, it was amazing. Like, you could just feel his pain, like, as he was just getting stung by those bees. I'm just like, you know, this Wait. movie's terrible, but I love this performance right now. <laughs> Mark, didn't you once write, like, an entire article about Nicolas Cage in a bear suit punching an old lady? Yeah, like, like, like he... <laughs> There's a scene where they take the chariots of fire uh, score and they have him running up to that lady and just knocking her out. Like, just out. Slow motion. Yeah, slow motion chariots of fire theme. And he just pulls back and just, like, delivers the bomb on this lady's face. (laughs) He's always, like, calling people bitches and, like, he's always just running around screaming. And he he goes off the trail with his bike and he goes through the bee patch. He's like, oh, 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 oh. So, yeah, Wait, I, now, just to clarify, last fact, is that your best role pick? It's it's both best and worst. Like, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's they're oh, one so and the you same. You literally took the question as what is his simultaneously best and worst role? Well, yeah, that's that's how I feel about his uh, role in uh, the Wicker Man. Like it was, like he gave like such a really good committed performance, even though the role itself was terrible. But I feel like he just like, <laughs> yeah, it's just you know I applaud him for that. Like uh, you know. Maybe, like, uh, he didn't do it like uh, he would in other movies where he would just be bored. He just, you know, made it interesting. So I feel like that deserves some kind of, you know, uh, some, t- some type of applause. My, uh, what, con- what came in a close second, though, it's also, like, a best, worst thing is uh, his role in Con Air. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. That's, you know, I was actually thinking of that as a, as a simultaneous best, worst. Put the bunny down. Exactly. <laughs> Such a great movie, by the way. His hair was great. Oh yeah, it's right up there, Kyle Ren. Uh, my, so my my least favorite of his is, is a tie between Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, and Season of the Witch. I just despised those roles so and was, much. And he was so bored in those movies too. Yeah, yeah, and then he had no excuse to be bored. He's Ghost Rider, the Spirit of Vengeance, and he is a witch hunter, like just. That, those are exciting lives or scary lives. Well, maybe he's on his maybe he's on his two hundredth mission, and he's just kind of but it's, jaded. But it's the first time on the two hundredth mission. <laughs> no, but my favorite though. So I was thinking of movies like Leaving Las Vegas and Matchstick Men, but my absolute favorite of his is The Family Man, and that might not be his best acting performance, but it is my favorite role of his. To me, that's the most touching movie and the most touching role that, that he's had. I kind of I think I think a lot of a lot of a lot of dudes who have been single a long time and wish they weren't single, they kind of look at those little what if movies very sincerely. And uh, that that's one of those for me. Nice. 
I like I like that we didn't pick the same ones. We had a, a, a interesting hodgepodge of Nick Cage films. Yeah. That's how divisive his stuff is. I love it. We yeah. could answer these questions again. This question again, and completely not overlap again or with our previous answers. He's done so much zany stuff. Yeah, so, I love it. But I, I, he's so good in adaptation, man. Just oh yeah. Thinking about how good he is in that movie makes me sad when I watch his other stuff. Like Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh yeah. <laughs> Although I will say that movie was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. It was it was a popcorn flick. Don't expect too much. Yeah, of it. and like like that in the National Treasure, like yeah, whatever, put them on the background. Yeah. You know? So I guess the answer bowls of lemon in your refrigerator. Yeah. So the answer to his question is uh <laughs> just watch Sorcerer's Apprentice and the National Treasure. Just put leave them on the background. Yep. <laughs> yep. Eat some lemons. All right, Mark. I think uh nice we got... back to the yeah, I think we got more of some of the uh, random yeah. awards to go through, right? Yeah, that's right. So our next one is best usage of fake, best usage of fake films in a really good film award, and that's from Meet Earl and the Dying Girl. And these two guys, uh, Earl and Greg, they made a lot of fake movies. But I love the movie posters uh, that they created for the fake movies. They made like Senior Citizen Kane, Eyes Wide Butt, <laughs> uh, Rosemary <laughs> Baby Carrots, The Four Hundred Bros, The Turd Man, The Rad Shoes, and like Anatomy of a Burger. And they're just these creative things that, you know, no high schoolers in the world would ever do. But I loved how, well, at least I wouldn't have. But uh, I just loved that these two kids were out there making parodies of classic films, and they, they named them Eyes Wide Butt. But I just think it's creative. I think it's fun. I love Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. It's one of my ten favorite of the year. Um, I just think, I don't know. What I like most about the movie is the director trusting his actors, and there are some scenes where the camera just lingers on their faces, and he allows them to act. And they just nail it. Like, he trusted his actors, and you could tell. So that's why I added this in here. So I got to say, I really love it when movies get playful and have fake movies in the movie. I, I always love it when they do that stuff. Like, um, like in Tropic Thunder, with the simple Ben, and then the action sequence of him with the panda, pandas and the volcano and stuff. Like, I, I love these... These silly or like uh, last action hero, where where Arnold Schwarzenegger sees in, in a blockbuster video the the poster board thing of Sylvester Stallone as the Terminator. Like these little blips always make me smile. Yeah. I, I can't explain why these fictitious movies within movies are always nice touches. And like I just grew up loving movies kind of deeply, and so seeing these two high schoolers who love movies deeply as well, like I loved it. But also, you know, like I, I don't know, so. Yeah, no, I just love the the posters, and I, I think Eyes Wide Butt is probably the funniest. I'm actually kind of bitter that I didn't come up with Eyes Wide Butt. <laughs> like, it's kind of obvious in hindsight. I'm like, oh, man, that's great. Yeah, like, and, you know, Mike Judge was talking about how he came up with Beavis and Butthead, and he said he and a bunch of his intellectual friends were watching the Sir Mix-a-Lot Baby Got Back video, and uh, they were making all these pithy comments, and then Mike Judge goes, that's a big butt. And everybody laughed the hardest out of all the intellectual comments. The biggest laugh was about a butt. So, like, it just shows that, like, juvenile human uh, humor done smartly rules all. So, uh, <laughs> so the next one is uh, my favorite movie of the year. And um, I have nothing pithy to say about Love and Mercy. I just think it's a beautiful story uh, about Brian Wilson and the, the Beach Boys' lives. Uh, Paul Dano's younger Brian Wilson, John Cusack is older Brian Wilson. Uh, Elizabeth Banks is really great in it, and it's just a really well done biopic that that nails it. And to be fair, I'm a huge Cusack fan. I'm a big, huge Beach Boys fan, but it's my favorite movie. And then here are my other ones. I actually found it. Uh, so number one is Love and Mercy. Number two is The End of the Tour. 
Number three is The Martian. Number four is Brooklyn. Number five is Bridge of Spies. Number six, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Seven is Spy. Eight is Mad Max Fury Road. Nine is What We Do in the Shadows. Ten is The Hateful Eight in Bone Tomahawk, because Kurt Russell. And then 11 is It Follows Backcountry, Spring, and Creed. But, uh... I know. I just—it's my favorite movie. What are what are your guys' favorite movies of this year? We haven't watched everything, obviously, but from the movies you've seen, what are your favorites? Uh, For me, it's got to be a three-way tie between Ex Machina, The Big Short, and Fury Road. Nice. I'm going with uh, Last Witch Hunter, Jupiter Ascending, <laughs> and Mad Max. <laughs> you know, to be to be fair, Last Witch Hunter and Jupiter Ascending built brand new worlds. Mm-hmm. Like. Completely new worlds, so you kind of got to appreciate that. Yeah, apparently Last Witch sort Hunter was completely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, based on new Dungeons and Dragons, worlds. based on Vin Diesel's Dungeons and Dragons character. I don't know if you guys know that, yeah. but uh, no, Love and Mercy is my favorite movie. I just had to get that in there. It's not like I, it's not. I'm a little surprised, Mark, that you didn't that you didn't pick Poltergeist. No. <laughs> <laughs> If you guys want to know how much Mark liked Poltergeist, uh, please listen to episode 16. Yeah, that movie will crush your soul. So uh, (laughs) my next one is um, I tried to explain your plot the other day, and it ended up with two very confused people award. It's a movie called Predestination. Uh, It's it's it was an Australian film that I believe they filmed in like 21 days, which is insane from the amount of work they had to do on it. Uh, A little indie that'll. You can't, you have to watch it. But it's such like a, if I explained it to you, you'd be like, what? Like it's with Ethan Hawke, um, Sarah Snook. It's just a very good, very, it's actually pretty straightforward. Uh, It doesn't try to mess with you. But if you try to explain it to somebody, you both would be confused. I can very fairly say that a lot of time travel movies, they're, they're all about these like weird loops of ever changing something where you can get lost. If you had a diagram, you could very you could more easily diagram this this time travel movie than like any other time travel movie. And, you, and the people would still be like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Like it would still be like that. It was. Yeah. It's like. It's like you get it, but you don't get it. Yeah, and like I did. I tried. I explained it, and I thought I knew what I was talking about. And the person I explained it to went, "What?" So uh, I don't know. It's. It, but it's good. I, I. I really recommend it. It's ambitious. It was told on a budget, and so predestination. But just don't explain it to anybody, because it, it won't work. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> it won't work. The next one is best usage of a possessed teenager kicking off her leg cast, think kickboxer, and then walking on broken legs while crunching noises abound with each step. So, um, and there's a scene in Sidious 3 where this nice girl had her legs broken because of a jerky demon. This jerky demon eventually takes over her body. She stands up, breaks her leg cast on a wooden bed frame, then walks on her crunchy, broken legs towards her father. And the whole time she's watching, you just hear... And Insidious 3, we love it. I mean, Lynn Shea is great. I love, actually, I don't know, John has mixed feelings, Levin has mixed feelings, but I love the trilogy. Um, but I just, the scene was, I mean, it's so good. And it's weird that it comes out of a prequel. Normally I hate horror prequels, but this scene was really inspired and crunchy. Yeah, this scene was tough to watch. Like, I can watch someone getting their head twisted off or any gory scene in, in a Saw movie, but this is different. The, 
in for some reason internal bone crunching and the noises that go with it that i mean i was having trouble keeping my shit together yeah. during this scene we, we we went on a lot about just this scene in episode 18 when we talk about this movie but yeah, I mean, we like relived that scene longer than the actual scene. <laughs> uh, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, in order to describe the crunch, it it was as if someone like uh, dropped a bag of chips on the floor, <laughs> and they were just like, <laughs> well, the lights were off, and they're just trying to like uh, walk around, <laughs> and it was just like crunch, crunch. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're walking on Fritos. Yeah, and uh, I mean, just it was it was awesome. It's a it's a great scene. Yeah. Uh, and then so our next one, we went from walking on crunchy legs to standing around. This one is best standing around in a barren landscape award, and that goes to Spectre. There's a scene where Leah Sadeau and Daniel Craig are dressed immaculately and with tailored, conveniently tailored clothes. They're mm-hmm. standing in the middle of the desert, and they just look great. They're just standing around. That's it. I, so normally we do very, like, boutique, unique, weird awards where it's hard to find competition in the same year. But this year there was a lot of competition for this award because you have The Martian, you yeah. have Fury Road, and you have Jupiter Ascending with Eddie Redmayne walking around that, that recently harvested planet, right? Yep, yep. you have Bone I mean, Tomahawk, you had uh, Slow Bone West, Tomahawk, right? The Revenant. Uh, so, I mean, this was up against some, some big-time competition, but I just think, you know, the the white outfits they wore, I feel like they really contrasted nicely. Uh, their sunglasses were on point, the way they were standing. I mean, it's just, it, it's very sophisticated standing around. Yeah. Maybe I'm just a prisoner in the moment, but for me, the the winner of this award uh, went to, to Rey in The Force Awakens in the beginning of the movie, where she's, like, scavenging through that old Star Destroyer, and she's, like, Kind of oh, eating yeah. lunch, like uh, sitting against that, uh, I think that old X-Wing or something like that. It was like an old that, spaceship. The AT-AT. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was a cool shot. Like, it was definitely definitely kind of a little bit of a fan service to, to yeah. fans. But, like, it was a cool thing to see. So I, I think, yeah, I, I think that's best relaxing next to an ATT in a barren landscape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say this like, about... Like, Sp- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go for it. I do want to say this about Spectre, because like uh, the, uh, when they were standing around in landscape, like that was before they got picked up to uh, Blofeld's base. Mm-hmm. Blofeld's base blew up pretty easily, <laughs> right? It only yeah. took like a couple bullets <laughs> to like a yeah. gas tank, and the whole place just blows up. I'm like, yeah. really? <laughs> he didn't plan that out too well. And that we're gonna deal with like a, the uh, uh, advice for henchmen post eventually, but like yeah. never work in a secret layer. Never work in a never ever work in a secret layer. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I mean that that was one of the biggest explosions ever on film, like natural like a actual explosion that they did. Yeah. But uh and they had great monologuing while wearing loafers. Christoph Waltz really nailed the sockless shoes monologue. Yeah. yeah. Well, decent movie. <laughs> so decent movie. Moving on to uh, another uh spy movie is Best Reaction to Being Drugged Award. And there's a scene in The Man from Uncle, which I hate typing by the way. The Man from Uncle is like the worst thing ever to type. But uh <laughs> Napoleon so Yeah, it's like geez Louise. But Napoleon Solo, he gets drugged, and then, like, you know, they're looking, they have all these fashionable outfits, whatever. But he goes to this couch, he puts a couple pillows down, he gets comfortable and just lays on it. And the lady's like, what are you doing? He's like, I've been drugged before and fell on my head, it hurt. So now he gets drugged and he just sort of relaxes on a couch. Yeah, he's not okay, so I, out. <laughs> just the picture gives a nice visual, and I haven't seen this movie, but what's, as someone who hasn't seen this movie, can you explain to me what's up with his name? Napoleon Solo? It sounds like Napoleon Dynamite meets Han Solo. Uh, I don't. 
you know, it's from the TV show, so I, I don't know how they... I, I know they took it from the TV show when it was out, but... Uh, uh, man, when when did the man from when? I don't know when that TV show went on. I couldn't explain it. I don't know. They don't really oh, go. So, I mean, that's such an odd name. Yeah, Napoleon Solo. Yeah, I think it's great. And you got and, and like in, in in my perspective, because you know Henry Cable hasn't done a a ton of things. I mean, yeah, he's played like a Greek demigod, and he played uh, Superman. He played Superman. And he did one other thing that in the cold dark light of day or oh, whatever yeah. like those are what i think of him almost entirely as so it's like he doesn't have a lot of things in my mental rolodex for him so like i i really just think of him as superman that's his big role and superman is now playing napoleon solo <laughs> you could tell he loved it too <laughs> down when he gets drunk yeah I, he, you could tell he loved every second of this film and the man from uncle which i even hate saying because i think about typing it when i say it um it's the most breezy film of 2015. It just moved like we had it on the background the other day and it's Megan's like, Oh, I keep missing the good scenes because the movie just goes, keeps moving and moving and moving and it's breezy and it's nice. And you know, it, it got a lot of backlash, but I love it. I think it's going to have a good life on cable. It's a cable movie. So, uh, the next award is the best real mustache award. And that goes to Kurt Russell. Cause he's my spirit animal and hateful eight. Um, it, I mean, it pretty much just is, it grew into a fur jacket, which we mentioned earlier. But um, it's a fantastic mustache. I loved his character in The Hateful Eight, just full of bluster. So he gets the best real mustache award. I mean, every now and then a mustache just really captures the screen. I mean, you wind back the clock a little more than 10 years ago to our 2002 movie awards. <laughs> Gangs of New York, Daniel Day-Lewis as oh my gosh. Butcher. Wind the clock back another nine years to Tombstone. Kurt Russell again. <laughs> you know, Kurt Russell is so handsome, like in, in dashing when he's when he's like just got a little bit of stubble, right? But he, you you wouldn't think like when you think of him in the eighties when he almost never had facial hair, right? Like he was always just dashing and good looking. You would not think that he could rock like the most serious facial hair on the planet. Yeah, I wonder if that was like an accident. He just never knew it. You know what I mean? It's like uh, starts. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Like you didn't know you you didn't know you could do kung fu until you turned fifty. And it's like, oh man, oh, man. Oh. No, I. You know what I love about this mustache, is that it's just it just looks hefty. You know, it's just like it looks like on a normal man, like uh, they wouldn't be able to bear the weight of like of this mustache. Like their neck would just be strained, like all the time. But like in Kurt Russell, it just looks natural. <laughs> Yeah, you know, (laughs) it's just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like it's a, it's a man's mustache. It's not like a little, uh, you know, like a, like a wispy little straw like thing, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. It's not like that guy's, it's not like that guy's mustache from Kung Fury. Remember they were making, (laughs) that guy was making fun of it. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, like on most men, it would seem like a gimmick, but on Kurt Russell, it seems natural. Right. And he's got that five o'clock shadow like like, on it too. (laughs) Yeah. In the old Star Trek Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, because they they had good budgets for TV shows, but they weren't good budgets for sci-fi. Like, all those different alien races, they would usually just be, like, a human with a different color skin or some speckling or a latex thing to cover their hair and a little bit of subtle modifications to the head or the ears, right? Kurt Russell's facial hair is a bigger leap for me from a human species than most of the other weird races <laughs> in Star Trek. Like, you look at him as like that. If he walked in on Star Trek, you'd be like, what race is he? Well, I mean, what, what species is he? 
He's the only He's one. I feel like a Klingon would be intimidated by him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the, the next one is uh, best fake mustache in Wig Award, and that goes to Jason Statham and Spy. There's a scene where he's in a club, and he's just he he all he does is he's just a pain in the butt for Melissa McCarthy in the movie, and he's always you know failing up. But there's a scene where he's like dancing with this lady, and he's wearing like blue blockers, has a really decent wig, and then a mustache. And just seeing Jason Statham with a mustache and like a wig, this is one of the funniest visuals of the year for me. So uh, yeah, I love it. You know, it. first I I kind of misgaged this, and I was taking the fake as bad, and I immediately thought of like the best worst uh, fake mustache, and I thought of Mordecai. Oh, yeah. By the way, I tried to watch the first ten minutes of that movie just to force myself to two days ago. I, I it just, it, I can't do it. How can Johnny Depp do so many amazing things and then this? Well, like, what, this what, just... what happens is no one can tell him no. <sighs> you know what I mean? Like, he, if he acted with, like, Spielberg or, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan, they would kind of give him a character. But I feel like these movies, it's just Johnny Depp going, this is what I'm going to do. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, try being the guy saying no to Johnny Depp. But, I mean, I, I, I generally like his ideas. I don't always like the movies that he's in entirely, but I always like his little nuances in, in yeah. this movie it just it like made me angry it was like he was trying to be mr bean but smart i it was yeah. so that, actually this is a perfect uh segue into the next one it's best usage of a sassy irish woman award um and, and I'll, I'll go through it quick because I know you guys haven't seen it, but Brooklyn is amazing, and Julie Walters is very good in it. And she plays this uh, – she ha- she owns a boarding house where women stay, and she's just, like, the coolest, sassiest lady of the year. And, like, the, at the dinner table, like, you think when, like, there would be, like, mean girls, you know, uh, uh, Saoirse Ronan moves to New York, and you think they're all going to be a bunch of, you know, jerks to her, but everyone's nice at the table, and they're joking around, and it's just nice. Like, you think – it's just nice. And then uh, – you know. We haven't even been doing this award every year. Like, it, the, 1993 is the last year I can think of when we did this. And yeah, that I was Nicole, a, Nicole Kidman in Far and Away. Yeah, I took a long, yeah, I took a long break from, from that because I felt she was so good. You know, like, <laughs> she just, and so she ruined the award for everybody else. Yeah, so I retired it for 20, 22 uh, years. She, she Meryl Streeped it. That's right. And the next one is <laughs> what we'll do real quick is uh, You Do You, James Spader Award. So in Avengers Age of Ultron, he plays Ultron, but he still does his signature head tilt. So you're watching Ultron, and you're like, this is James Spader. Like, Dude, I thought I was watching Boston Legal's Alan Shore taking over the world as a robot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I know this sounds weird, but like, it wasn't Ultron. It was James Spader. Like, it no, was- it's just like, while we're at it, that thing didn't seem like the smartest entity on the planet. It seemed like not even as smart as Alan Shore. I feel like Alan Shore from Boston Legal could have outsmarted Ultron. <laughs> yeah, from the blacklist, like, uh, yeah, he could have just... But it's just, you're watching it, and you're like, this is James Spader. Like, this is an Ultron. And it really sort of threw me out. It made me appreciate Andy Serkis more, because he creates characters, whereas Ultron was just James Spader. So, uh, but the next one is, uh, John Leguizamo is the best and needs to be in more movies award. And uh, he has a tiny screen time in American Ultra, but John Leguizamo has, like, the funniest outfits. Um, he's just, like, this shady drug dealer. And uh, whenever John Leguizamo's in something, he, I just want him in more. Um, 
And American Ultra is like this weird stoner spy film that doesn't always work, but I love the idea of it. And I just like watching John Leguizamo in weird outfits with a weird accent being John Leguizamo. Yeah, I, even this year, I could have given him this award for Sisters, which, by the way, is not the kind of movie I would choose to go see in theaters. But a, a fellow listener and a good friend of mine uh, wanted to see this movie a couple weeks ago, so I saw it with her. And John Leguizamo was my biggest joy in that movie, Sisters. Oh, he's in like, Sisters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he actually has a good amount of screen time, as it turns out. But, like, he's he plays this total, like, washout, like, kind of unemployed, lecherous kind of schmooze, like, schmoozy guy. And he's trying to get laid all the time. And he's got some <laughs> glory. He's, like, you know, talking to Tina Fey and, and Amy Poehler. And he's like, yeah, the sisters. Remember back in that day when, you know, like, I almost made out with you when I was looking at you. And, you know, that could have almost been a threesome. Yeah, we should do that now. Like, it's, <laughs> he's, like, talking about 30 years. Like, there are a bunch of scenes basically like that. And you're just like, yes, like Wazamo. Just say whatever comes to mind while they're filming. I want it. And we know that uh, Last of Bath loves Leguizamo and John Wick. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. yeah, like, the guy, he, I don't know. He, he's, if I could, if, if I wrote a script and I knew any actor on the planet, if they acted in it, they would win every, every major acting award and I could just pick one, I would pick John Leguizamo. Because I think he's just been putting in the best work for the last 25 years. And I would love to see him, you know, get recognized. But, um. The next one is Best Usage of Potatoes, and that's from The Martian, where the potatoes actually had a character arc. Like, they're one of the best non-human, and, um, you know, the director of Spring was really happy that uh, Luis uh, did better than the, the potatoes, because it's tough competition. Like, these are, they kept one of the best characters of 2015 alive. And, you know, they, they had more of a character arc than any human character in Jurassic World, so I mean... I just love the potatoes from the Martian. So that's the best usage of potatoes. You, know, you were invested. You were invested in those potatoes, though. We really cared about the arc and development, if you will. Oh, it's like they had character development. It was literally the growth of the potatoes. Yeah. The physical <laughs> development of the potatoes. And we, we were there with them. We were caring. You know, I got to say, it's a very distant second place. But I thought of Straight Outta Compton for the best usage of potatoes award. Ooh. So there's a scene where O'Shea Jr., who's, you know, Ice Cube's son, but he's playing Ice Cube in the Straight Outta Compton movie, he's eating French fries. That's the potato. He's eating French fries in front of Paul Giamatti and the dude playing Easy E while they're drinking champagne and eating lobster. And he's <laughs> talking about how they're being financially hustled, literally, and he says, like, while we're eating, you know, fast food and French fries and shit, you got lobster and champagne. And that was kind of like when he started to put together, like, that for sure, it's not a delay of funds. We're getting screwed. And then later it turns into the NWA insurrection rap war. So that, that French fry, that potato, literally symbolized the catalyst of insurrection in the NWA. Ooh, I like yeah. it. Yeah. And then I should put yeah, that. It's still, it's still nothing to the Martian, though. Best, best potato that caused blood vomiting in what we do in the shadows. The guy just wants to eat chips. The vampire. Oh, yeah. And he eats a chip and he projectile and then, vomits. And then he oh. like, eats three chips and he vomits like three gallons of blood. It was like you put your thumb over a hose. Like, yep. <laughs> so potatoes had a major part in this year's thing. Potatoes had a good year, 2015. <laughs> like, <laughs> the Idaho the tourism board. Potato famine. We didn't do the awards that year. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, all right, the next one is, oh, and the Kingsman, they had uh, 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 fries and Big Macs, Sam Jackson. That's right, Earth. yeah. That, that's the scene that actually made me wonder if Colin Firth was literally negatively judging Samuel L. Jackson's <laughs> lisp. But I guess he gave him a bye because he's like, you had a real lisp. So, yeah. cool. So the next cool. one is the best dancing by a megalomaniac, megalomani- mega, mega, megalomaniac uh, billionaire award, and that's Oscar Isaac and Ex Machina. His dance scene oh. is uh, pure, <laughs> pure solid gold. I mean, it's just that it's, was like a sociopathically brilliant scene. It's just so random. It, 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 it's the perfect random. It's just random. R- r- random. It, it, I mean, is it my, that in that kind of chamber thriller of a movie? That really might have been the absolutely most memorable 10 seconds of that movie. Yeah. Like. It's just, <laughs> I, I love it. It was just such a great dancing. Like, he showed off some actual moves, like how much free time he has there. Um, and it was on point dancing. Oscar Isaac can sing, dance, like, he can fly planes. And, and, and he had that cute little synthetic uh, companion doing the. Yeah. I mean, he had that synthetic woman. What was her name? Like, Kiko? He had his robot doing those dance moves with them. Like, yeah. it was pretty cool. Like, she and when he was like moving towards Domino Gleason to explain it, I'm actually, you can't see me, but I'm almost like motioning <laughs> the dance while I'm talking in this podcast. But, like, as he was moving towards Domino Gleason to like interact with him while he's dancing, she's kind of improving and moving around him through the back. Like, she was working that dance with them. Yeah. Like, I, I need to get one of those scents. I want the movie. Cool. I want the movie where they practice that dance. And learning it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want that movie. I want the movie about how Kurt Russell grows his mustache. Like, uh, you know. So that that's a. Uh, so the, the next one is a movie that I thought would never work, but did award. It's it's a total Hulkam movie. But the last Witch Hunter, it like built a new world. Was really geeky. I like that. You know, for me, when you watch as many movies as we do, and then you see a guy actually like doing something new. Even though it feels like he's just, it, it was new. Like it wasn't great, but I just loved that he tried to do something new. And there's a terrible tree that I wouldn't want in my front yard in it. But uh, I just appreciated <laughs> you know, that. As, as bonkers as this movie is, like, yeah, it's clearly not ripping something off. Yeah, like it, it it's, has, it's, like it, it has elements. Like it basically took the leftovers and made a stew. Like it, it like took things that have been used before, but made a, a, its own thing. And um, it pulled a Carl Weathers from Arrested Development. But so, um, so to, our, to our listeners, if you actually go to the website for the 2015 Movie Awards, this was posted very recently, by the way, you'll find that it, towards the end of this article, there's a, a, a screenshot of Vin Diesel holding a flaming sword while he's wearing what looks like a Henley or a long T-shirt. And his face, he looks like he doesn't even understand how this movie works. <laughs> Yeah, he, I mean, in the based, photo. It's, it's based off a Dungeons and Dragons character he used to use. So I mean, like, wait, wait. So what? What? What other movies? We didn't think would work. Like there, there's gotta be like last of Do you have one? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like Jupiter Ascending comes close for me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just appreciate the uh, the creativity of it. It just it just didn't really quite hit the mark. And, it was close. You know. 
I think Creep did it for me. I thought I could create another foul footage movie, but they really made that work. Yeah. Uh, as above, so below, I think worked this way, you know, itself. Uh, yeah, what about you, Eleven Good? I actually didn't think Ant-Man was going to work because I thought it would be too hard to get people to care about that character, like, as an action character, but... They kind of told it more like a crime drama that happened to have a little bit of comic book action, mm-hmm. and that made it work for me. Yeah, but like it was more, it was more about I don't know how to put it. It's not that it was an origin story; it's that the origin story did more storytelling through the whole movie. I, is that me? I, am I making sense, or am I just babbling? No, I don't think it would work. It works. <laughs> And I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I like the small stakes. I like that they wrecked the toy train. Uh, you know, best toy train destruction of 2015 goes to Ant-Man. Um, I liked it more than Avengers, that's for sure. So, uh, no, I, I was just really curious to see how it worked. It did. So, but uh, I got something pretty – I think we're ending on a strong thing. This is the last award, and I think this is almost perfect. Because one of – I think, you know, we've done 42 40, – 40 podcasts last year. I think one of our favorites just that people listen to and enjoy, we did a podcast about uh, Creep and Spring, uh, just two new wave uh, horror films. And uh, the last award is if you love the Before Trilogy and Squishy Noises, you will love this movie. And so, I know, people seem to really love our writing about Spring and our podcasting about it, and people have been really – open about watching the movie, so I'm kind of happy. It's like spring is like before sunrise about species and spawned a sweet and romantic horror film. And so uh, that's my last random award of the year. Nice. So it's interesting that you call the award, if you love the Before Trilogy and squishy noises, you will love this movie. So when I think of the Before Trilogy, I think of how they, the characters were apart and then together again, so it's reuniting uh, estranged loved ones. Yeah. And then Squishy movies. So I thought of The Visit because The Visit reunites some grandkids with their estranged grandparents, right? Uh-huh. And there's squishy noises because the grandfather is always crapping himself into his depends, and then he hides them away in in in, in his in his workshop. So yeah, I, I thought that I thought that The Visit was a distant second candidate for this. Nice, yeah. I mean, like family and squishy noises. That's what it's all about. But and, I, mean, uh, I I gotta say the the before trilogy and spring, whoa, spring yeah. especially, yeah, like that's episode twenty six by the way, that's our most popular. Yeah, and uh, I just think that I don't know, I I love the new wave horror. I think it's sensitive. I I, I don't think it's gonna be as as I think the seventies for me is the golden age uh, of horror, and I think they're kind of recreating that in terms of critical acclaim. The horror films that we've gotten the last few years have been incredibly popular with critics you know bone tomahawks 89 percent creep is 93 spring is uh 90 honey if you take honeymoon uh girl walks home alone at night babadook you take all those movies their average is 90 percent on rotten tomatoes um and so we're in a time of these boutique new wave horror hybrids uh that um you know that we've really gotten a lot of attention on with movies films and flicks this year so i wanted to end it on that so i just think it's a really good movie um yeah, so spring. Nice. That's right. Well, uh, yeah, I think that wraps up uh, not just the random awards, but a pretty great year for movies overall, right? Like yeah, a, I had a fun year, and for movies, films, and flicks, too. I mean, 
yeah. the podcast is doing well, the, the site's doing well. Like, I just think it's fun. To, you know, start with random and end with random. So, uh, yeah. Speaking speaking of, of of ending with random, I'll tell you something that's not doing well, and that's the CGI and Van Helsing. <laughs> so I watched that movie just last night, no joke. Before I went to bed, I fell asleep to the first 10 or 20 minutes of Van Helsing. And I remember in 2000, like three or four when that came out, I thought it was like a like a video game movie kind of. It was like Castlevania made into a movie. Mm-hmm. So I was just taking it for that, right? And I thought it was like awesome. Like I thought it was awesome. Like I thought Witch Hunters was awesome two years ago. The Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Oh, I love that movie. But, but the thing is, is that so I haven't seen this movie, though, in like a decade. So I just watched it, and the CGI, like, it literally is what we hear Mark complain about a lot uh, in the history of our podcast. It's like a CGI blob. These literally look like blobs. They look horrible. So just FYI, folks, Van Helsing, not really holding up that well, in addition to the fact that it was a stupid movie back then. Write it down. Throw it on the floor, John. Was anybody actually really surprised by that, though? (laughs) Like, you but tell it, me no, it was Helsing. so fun and awesome to yeah. be in 2004. I thought it was going to be like a mummy type film because Stephen mm-hmm. Summers directed it, and it it was not a mummy type film. All right, so when we start talking about Van Helsing, I think that's about time we uh, start wrapping up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You'd think it was like one in the morning, and I'm delirious, and yeah. I have work the next day. But I'm actually it's midday, and I'm pretty crisp. Yeah. <laughs> it just haunted me. Hey guys, before we uh, wrap up, do we have any plugs you want to make? Uh, yeah, check out the podcast, guys. Uh, also, head over to Movies, Films, and Flicks. I wrote like a year wrap-up called We Write Great Stuff. And uh, just check it out. Check out some of the posts from this year. Uh, go to John's Horror Corner. Check out his index. And uh, listen to the Shark Dropper and Movies, Films, and Flicks podcast. Rate, share. Thank you for listening. Kurt yeah. Russell. And uh, if you guys get on Twitter, uh, the three of us have three accounts. We are at MFF for Movies, Films, and Flicks, at MFF Horror Corner, at Movies, Films, Flicks with an X, and at Shark Dropper. That's right. Dropping a shark. That's a yeah. thing. On your house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Living Good. We just had you on the Shark Dropper podcast recently. So any interest? Oh, yeah. I, I picked up the, the second half of one of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> There was a much Star Wars discussion. We're actually coming up on a uh, hundred episodes for Shark Dropper, so we may, it. may or may, may not be doing anything special for that. But keep an eye out for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, guys, for uh, well, for my co-host Mark Hoffmeyer, Kurt Russell, John Levingood. Good night. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Hope you guys had a happy New Year and. See you guys next time. We're above the target. T minus five seconds till shark drop. Shark Dropper Studios production.